Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's how God lifts the clouds. That's how he takes depression away, darkness away, Sending help, in this case through these hymns and through the phone call of my friend later on that night. Exodus 3, 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen, or I have seen, I have seen the depression of my people. And after he sees the depression of his people, he acts to bring them out of the depression by sending Moses. After God sees our depression, he sends relief so that we can sing with the song. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus all along the way. It's just like his great love. Now, verse seven describes the Jewish people with the phrase, my people which are in Egypt. That's how he describes the Jewish people to Moses. He said, I've seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Egypt, does not pose a problem for God to be able to take care of his people. If God's people are in Egypt, then God will take care of his people in Egypt. That phrase describes very well us also as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his people. Now we're not in Egypt, but we're in the world. But just as Egypt was a hostile country for the Jewish people to be in, the world is a hostile place for us to be in. As a matter of fact, Paul, described the world in 1 Corinthians 1.21 with these words, the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words, the world's wisdom is ignorant of who God is. The world is so blind as to who God is that the best the world can do is to say that, well, there's a lot of religions and all religions are equal and there's no such thing as an absolute truth. There's not one that's right. You can just believe whatever you want because it really doesn't make any difference as to really finding God because the world doesn't even recognize that there is a God. And that's what it means when it says, the world by wisdom knew not God. All the wisdom of the world came to the conclusion that God we don't know. It also says in 1 Corinthians 2.8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory, it says, was crucified by the princes of this world. So the princes of this world came to the conclusion that they should crucify the Lord of glory. Very good. For believers, the Lord Jesus Christ explains to us our relationship with the world, where he said in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It didn't say the world doesn't like you. It said the world hateth you. 
It didn't say the world will tolerate you. It says the world hateth you. And so we're explained here. He's explained to us the world hates us because we're not of the world. Why? Because we don't think like the world thinks. We don't want what the world offers. We don't need what the world offers. We don't value what the world offers. As a matter of fact, we understand that to love the world is a trap that will destroy us. So we want nothing to do with this world. And just as Israel was in Egypt, so we are in the world. And just as God was committed to the care of the, of the Jewish people for Israel in Egypt, God has committed to caring for us in this world. It's interesting to see how the Lord prays for us. It's a wonderful chapter, 17 of John. It's a wonderful chapter because it's where the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, is praying to God the Father, and it's about us, and so we get to see it, we get to have it. It's very nice. John 17, 11 says this. The Lord is praying to his Father. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I've kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now come I to thee. And these things speak I in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So we see here, he did not pray for us to be taken out of the world, but he prayed that we would be kept from the evil that is in the world. The world is the place. After all, this is the place we live in. We live on planet world, planet Earth. And in this place, God found us in the world. God loved us in the world. God called us in the world. And God strengthens our faith and our trust in him in the world. This is exactly what God is gonna do for Israel as he put it in Hosea chapter 11, verse one, when he said, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So God calls Israel in Egypt a child. And God says that he loved Israel. And so why does, what does God do when he loves Israel when he's in Egypt? He says he calls him. God calls Israel out of Egypt. And that's how God loves us. He calls us to come out. He calls us to come to himself in salvation. He calls us to come out and be separate, not to be like the world. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 8, where it says, and God has said, I will dwell. There's that word. Well, it's Greek, but it's quoting from the Old Testament. The word is shakan. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. So now, verse seven, we go on. It says, the Lord says, I've surely seen the depression of my people which are in Egypt. And then he says, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I have heard their cry. I've heard their cry. God told to Moses, he heard the cry because that's who God is. God is a cry-hearing God. 
And when a person really comes to the end of themselves and is desperate and he cries out to God, then God promises in uh, Psalm 22.24, he said this, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried out to him, he heard. But on the other hand, when a wicked man who has no intention of turning away from his sins, and he prays to God because he's in trouble, God says he won't hear him. In Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. As a matter of fact, when Israel was in a state in their history where they were sacrificing to idols and then came great trouble to them, God was so angry with them that he commanded the prophet Jeremiah to not pray for them, and he said that he would not hear them in Jeremiah 11, 13 through 14, where it says, for according to the number of thy cities were thy gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets in Jerusalem have you set up altars to a shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. God said that when trouble came to these idolaters, that they would cry to God, but it would not be the cry and the prayer of repentance, it would be a prayer for relief. And that's similar to when a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's in trouble, and he prays to the Lord Jesus Christ for help, but that person has no desire to want to separate from his sin. That person has no intention of asking God for help to leave his sin. And that's only a prayer for relief from the trouble and not a prayer for, of repentance. And then in verse 7, God shows how intimately he became involved with what his people were feeling. Where it says in verse 7, he says, I heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. It's an amazing thing when God says, I know their sorrows. He didn't say that he knows about their sorrows, but he knows their sorrows. We covered this verse earlier, but in Isaiah 63, 9, God has chosen to have it this way where it reads, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. When they were afflicted, he was afflicted. That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was persecuting the church, the Lord Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He was talking about persecuting him, but he was persecuting the church. It says, in all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. So when he said that he knows their sorrows, it means that he felt their sorrows. As a matter of fact, God wants, wants, to know our sorrows. He wants, this is his choice. He wants to know it. He wants to feel our sorrows. He wants to have firsthand knowledge of our sorrows, not just a distant report in his hand like, oh, look, I just got a report that my people are sorrowful and sad. No, 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 no. God wants more knowledge of their sorrows than just a sterile report. God wants to experience the sorrows of his people. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ became a man so he could experience their sorrows. That's why it says about him in Isaiah 53.3, he's despised, he's rejected of men, a man of sorrows. This is God. God has chosen to be, have the title of a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. As a matter of fact, when he's speaking 
In the Old Testament there in Lamentations 1.12, he says, is it nothing to you, all you that pass by? We can imagine him on the cross and thinking these words of Lamentations written by the prophet Jeremiah. 112, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord afflicted me. This was his choice, to come down and to bear our sorrows. As he said in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why it says in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. Why did he do this? Why did he decide to do this? Because he came to die for our sins. He came because in obedience to the Father who laid all of our iniquities on him. And he came, having done that, also to become for us a special high priest. And the high priest that he is is described in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, where it says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The high priest does a job. What is the job? He makes intercession for others. The priest represents people to God. The prophet represents God to the people. But the high priest represents the people to God. Our great high priest, great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, experienced personally so that he could be an effective high priest and be as it says in Isaiah 53, 12 about him, that it says, he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He stepped in and he represented the transgressors to God because he knew their sorrows. Just as it says here in, in Exodus, I know their sorrows. That's the Lord Jesus speaking, I know their sorrows. And as he said that to Moses, we can imagine him saying that to the Father. Father, I know their sorrows. Father, I poured out my life for their sorrows. Father, I present my blood for their sorrows to reconcile them to God. He didn't commit that to an angel. He took our sorrows on himself. And he did that so he could deliver us from our sorrows. Like it says in Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's, that was it right there, in his own blood. It was the Lord himself who did this. And that's a phrase that is emphasized in a couple of scriptures. One of them is in Hebrews 2.18. For that he himself, that's the phrase, he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to come to the aid of those that are tempted. Hebrews 5.2 says that he can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed about with infirmity. He took upon himself weakness and he was nailed to a cross in weakness. He took that on himself. He himself, 
not an angel, but he himself. And he says in Exodus 3.8, going along again with this, all of this thought of God wanting the firsthand land of experience, he says, I know their sorrows. And then we find him saying, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I am come down to deliver them. I am come down to deliver. God said to Moses, he was coming down to deliver the Jewish people from the Egyptians. God didn't send an angel, as we said, but he himself, as we said, was going to personally come down to deliver Israel. That's exactly the truth of the gospel. Exactly the truth of the gospel. That's exactly what the gospel is saying when, it's, when we ask the question, why? Why did God decide to be made flesh? I mean, it starts off, the first chapter of John starts off in verse 1 by describing what it was like in the beginning was the Word. That's the Lord Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the echadness of the Trinity. Why? Why? When we come down 14 verses later in John 1:14, it says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why? The great creator in heaven, in the, in the glory and power. Why? He wants to be made flesh to dwell among us. Why did God decide to do this, this, this to walk down this staircase described in Philippians 2, 5 through 8? The staircase, and look at it that way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that's the top of the staircase, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, down the staircase he goes, made himself of no reputation, and took upon him, another step, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. One step after the other, he walked down. Why? Why? John 10, 8, he said this, talking about his life. He said, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Why did he do this? because of Exodus 3.8. I am come down to deliver. He came himself in Hosea 13.14. He saw that death was the enemy of his people. He saw that death was the enemy of mankind. He saw that they were on their way to hell. He saw that the king of terrors and death, the devil himself, had his hand like the Egyptians on the Jewish people. And he said in Hosea 13.14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues, O grave. I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. See, God says, I am going to do this. In other words, we can see our great warrior here, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come down, walk down that stair step as we talked about in Philippians 2. And he looks death right in the face and he says, I am taking you on. I will be your plague. I will destroy you. And he did. I will be thy destruction, as he said. Now, when we look at the lost sheep, this is the lost sheep here of the house of Israel. They're in Egypt. They're in this terrible state under the oppression 
of the Egyptians. And he looks at his people, and there was another time in the history when he looked at his people, and the rabbis had led them astray, and he called them the shepherds. And it says in Ezekiel 34, 8 through 16, notice how he also has this continuing theme of I will, as he says what he's going to do. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, my flock became meat to every beast of the field. Therefore there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I, even I, see he himself, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep and are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall be their fold be. There shall they shall lie in good fold and fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord. Sounds like Psalm, the 32nd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd Psalm. He says he causes us to lie down in green pastures. I will seek that which was lost and bring it again, that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. See, it's again, it's going back to this verse in Exodus 3, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And what we've seen here, and what we talked about in Hosea, was God sees the hand of death, which is upon each one of us, and he says, I will destroy that hand, I will break that hand. And when God looked at his people there in Egypt, he saw, as he said there in verse 8, he said, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So we can see God saying, I'll break that hand, which he did, of the Egyptians to let his people go. And he says, and that's what he did. And that's just as he did that. For Israel and Egypt, he does that for us. Why? It's the God that he is. Because his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall deliver his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you see, you saw, and you continue to see. Lord, the sin that plagues us, the devil that oppresses us, the hell that awaits us, and you came down to deliver us from it all. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though it was a very difficult staircase for you to walk down, making yourself of no reputation, taking upon you the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. But you did it because you are the God that spoke to Moses when you said, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. We can never thank you enough 
And as that song said, where the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my best, my all. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 